Today is November 17th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nation, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, and I just share what I think I know during my journey of the Red Road. Oki, I'm Mekochis Tukomhaki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. Uh, my spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I tried to learn the proper pronunciation. Um, I was born Michelle Elliott, now I'm Michelle Robinson. These are very English names, which has afforded me privilege in a colonial world. Uh, my mother is Northern Slavey or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellenized Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. I'm a guest here. My Dene lineage roots me into the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Lake Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene lineage is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Intehe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Nathan, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up and uh, supporting me. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. We are now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. Uh, first, we had a tech technical glitch in our last podcast. Uh, we don't really understand why it happened in the loading process, so if you have any questions about the rest of the interview, please just ask me and I'll try to give you the Coles notes. What are the Coles Notes, you might ask? Coles Notes are student guides to literature published in Canada. The Coles Bookstore first published Coles Notes in 1948. The first title published was a French novel. And then in 1958, Jack and Carol Coe, founders of, the, of Coles, sold the rights of Coles Notes to Cliff Helgas, who then published the books under Cliff Notes. By 19, 1960, Cole's Notes sales had peaked. They had published over 120 titles, mostly in English novels. However, they were covered uh, other, in, other subjects, including math, science, and foreign languages. And Cole's Notes is currently owned by Indigo Books in Canada. I had a bit of a wake-up call this week. I was uh, lucky to be a guest on at, at Mount Royal University for about an hour and 20 uh, the prof actually recorded it, so I shared it on my Facebook if you want to watch it. Um, it was really clear that many people didn't understand patriarchy or what the hashtag missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit was all about, so the hashtag MMIWG2. Um, so 
yeah, I spoke with my daughter and she was showing me YouTube videos of young adults that didn't really understand that with an hour, if you're going 80 kilometers an hour, you're going to go 80 kilometers. And then she showed me this video of a young girl using Minecraft to try to prove that the earth was flat. So I also realized that our kids are not taking typing or handwriting. So I'm, I'm pretty concerned about the level of education. That's obviously now getting reflected in our politicians with the lack of discourse, like locally, federally, provincially, you know, and I'm not the smartest person in the room most of the time. But when you read the media, social media and hear guest speakers, you know, spout racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist and denier point of views under the guise of uh, free speech advocates, I just I don't believe I have to say this, but don't don't do that. And I can't believe that has to be said at all. Um, so I guess that's the point of doing this podcast and and talking about things that I think I know. And I assume a lot more people know these things. And I I'm wrong actually. I'm I'm wrong that people know know a lot of things that I I I guess I just took for granted that people understood that the world was round, um, that there was gravity. There are people like now deny that that the world is not round and that there actually is no gravity. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to even approach a conversation like that. Like when you've known something else for so long, but I guess that also shows like Canadians trying to understand indigenous issues where they were taught one thing for so long and now they're being taught com something completely different. So you know, I I just, I know a lot of times I've said things like, I just don't have patience for people's ignorance anymore. Well, I, I guess if the internet is being, you know, infiltrated with these ridiculous videos of people that don't understand simple concepts, um, I guess that's why. I guess that's why we're here. So, you know, I, I actually don't get a lot of questions uh, on my email and I'm encouraging it because... I think it's really important that we start talking about things. So if you hear me say something like TRC and you're like, what does that mean? Right now, I'll tell you Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, but maybe there's other things. And, and I I don't want to take that for granted because I I do want to educate and I do want to talk about things. And, and as always, I have solutions. So I've decided to move my solutions to the back of my podcast because, you know, we're on episode 30. I think we can put that towards the end for new listeners. They can hear it at the end. But for most of the listeners that are listening, they have heard this now. And I'm I'm hoping that they're implementing and practicing those um, those tools and solutions. And I, if you are, I'd love to hear about them. I'd love to hear about things that maybe made you think about those. Um, yeah, go from there. Whether it was a video you've seen on social media or you know, something that happened in real life that you use de-escalation techniques in order to uh, diffuse a situation where somebody was being uh, targeted with some aggressive behavior. I'd love to hear about that. So a lot has happened since my last podcast on the 9th, and I actually think I'm going to have to save some of it for my next one as well, because it was just too much to fit in one episode. Uh, first, I went to Jubilations and I seen the Star Wars sequel that they had and it was so good. I actually put a review up and I said, uh, I just went to the opening night of Star Wars. The choreograph, uh, the choreography, choreographed dancing and lightsabers were fantastic. 
The jokes were amazing, including the trans-inclusive joke. I don't usually get to recommend much because if there is a trans joke, it's usually not a kind joke. So thank you for being the exception and making me laugh maybe too hard. Uh, The art, set design, and atmosphere were great. The actors were all quick on their feet, making great jokes from Darth Vader recognizing a birthday boy's name, Lucas, trademark, to Solo trying desperately to get a female audience member just to look at him. Uh, My family and I had great belly laughs, whether it was scripted. Uh, They started off with the Death Star rules to avoiding being executed (laughs) or unscripted. I love Star Wars so much, and this was a wonderful time with my family. Food was great. Five out of five. So that's what I posted. But I am pretty biased because the set desire is somebody I was lucky enough to go to school with. Uh, It's not my story to tell, but she has a heck of a story to tell. So maybe I'll ask her if she ever wants to come in and and talk about that. Her work on that set is exceptional, no question. Um, Also, I want to plug the Stony Nakoda Resort and Casino. We don't gamble, and uh, we have a little one, so we rarely would stay at a casino. But I, I put this review up. I got to bring my dogs on a trip for the first time ever to a hotel to have a family vacation. We ate like kings. We had prime rib, lobster tails, fried shrimp, swam in a pool, enjoyed the water slide, and played in the games room. The room was clean, warm, spacious, and I loved the stand-up shower and big hot tub. Uh, The prices were so affordable, and I love supporting Indigenous-owned business on the beautiful Stony Nakoda territory with a view of the mountains that is breathtaking and world-renowned. Instead of going to Bamford Canmore, stay here for a family-friendly, dog-friendly, relaxing night. So... Just want to say um, say thank you to Stony Nakoda for that and my husband. It was awesome. And then the next day, because we were so close, we just went to Bankhead in Minnewanka Loop for the Remembrance Day. Um, so I posted this. You might have seen it on um, on Facebook and Twitter. My hubby and I, in a galaxy far, far away, used to teach scuba out at Banff. We learned so much about the history of the abandoned town of Bankhead. Um, you know, the use of the War Measures Act to flood the Lake Minnewanka. We dove to the underwater dam from 1912. We used to chat with tourists from all over the world about the history of, you know, the area that we were in. Um, every year that we can, depending on the snow and the weather, we, we go to Bankhead to honor eight soldiers that served in the Great War, the war to end all wars. This year we had company. A fellow from Parks Canada and a person from Canmore, originally from Holland, um, and he had served 10 years in their army. He joined um, my daughter and my husband and I. Um, So imagine 100 years after the end of the First World War, or the Great War, I should say, we played the last post and had two minutes of silence and then the rows on an iPhone at uh, 11 (laughs) a.m. I bet you they didn't think of that 100 years ago or that the town wouldn't be there anymore. So anyway, we left our poppies. We did a prayer. Um, We brought tobacco and everyone took a pinch to leave that for the fallen and and did their own prayer. Um, Both the fellow from Canmore and I were listening to the incredible stories about uh, nurses on a hospital ship that was shot down by a U-boat on the CBC. Um, We found out through that story that the nurses in the army were given the right to vote first as they became officers. Uh, He shared, our visitor from Canmore, he shared how Holland was liberated by the Allies. So I could tell how much, you know, us all being together and marking that moment meant to him. 
the parks fellow said it was a great little ceremony that we did. So, you know, just going to say their names. Um, Murray, Dougal, Littler, Scar, Woodworth, Redpath, Wilson, and Willoughby. Their name liveth forever. Least we forget. So, lest we forget, I should say. Those are the fellows that uh, are on that plaque, and there's no town there anymore to even commemorate them. So it was really interesting being out there all together. Um, and I also posted that I recognize how many Ukrainians contributed to the creation of Banff and National Park, but as Canada's first internment camp. So it wasn't exactly voluntary to be making those, you know, roads and such. Um that was a part of the history we were never taught, but that truth is now coming out thanks to the hard work of documentarians and their families. So, yeah, I just want to acknowledge that. On the way home, I listened to a story of this on the CBC about students in their second year of writing stories of Holocaust survivors. Uh, they shared, the Holocaust survivors shared how the little Jewish boys were made to show their privates to determine whether or not they were circumcised, whether or not they, to be taken from the Germans. You know, the bigger part of that story though, and because I, I found that horrific, but the bigger part of the story was documenting the survivor stories and telling those details. Um, hearing a survivor say that we are living back in those times again, it's pretty validating and pretty scary. You know, the same uh, survivor told a story about his aunt rebelling by sealing papers and writing out recipes that she used to make. You know, those were all written down by the students as they told, as they um, wrote down the stories of the survivors. So the students compiled, compiled all the stories, even the recipes and uh, the relationships, and then distributed it to the whole group when they were releasing everything. And uh, they really talked a lot about an orange cake. And it, it just seemed really um, like a really great story to hear. And I'm, I'm grateful that people are writing them down because now that we're in a time of, you know, people denying that Indian residential schools happened. Um, we have the TRC calls to action. We have the books but um, even me, I had one of my books get wrecked the other day, and um, it's not going to be easy to replace all these books anymore, right? So we got to we gotta be careful about these things. We got to make sure we tell these stories and, and, and put them out there so that people never forget that, you know, the Holocaust happened at the Indian residential schools happened. Then one of the survivors actually said on the CBC that the reason why he was going around to schools and telling his story was because he had heard of Holocaust deniers. So very sad, very true, though. You know, anyway, so I just all of this was thanks to Darcy Robinson's uh, Living Undefined podcast. Uh, we got to stay at the Stony Nakoda Resort and Casino as well as, you know, as a family with the dogs and all. And so I'm just really grateful for that. Um, so interesting talking to a friend of mine about all of this because uh, he rightly said that his six-year-old didn't want to go to school for the ceremonies because in his six-year-old mind why are we celebrating the killing of other people simple yes but I think we really should stop and reflect on that um, I know even in our family seeing my my girl not want to stand and sing for O Canada has caused some some pretty big hiccups um, she was targeted at school and uh, even when we went to the Saddle Dome, we had an issue with that. Uh, people were being mean to her because she wouldn't stand for the anthem and she wouldn't sing for it. They didn't ask her why. They just, you know, targeted her in a negative way. 
So anyway, this year, you know, I'd also seen that not all ceremonial, um, you know, things that I had seen were transitioning into the new anthem. And they were using the old anthem. So it says a lot about our society, that's for sure. But the one thing I was happy to read more about was the emphasis on the Indigenous war effort. I had heard this ridiculous story um, on the CB, or maybe it was, I read it on the CBC. Imagine the very first uh, great war, the Cree actually were the code talkers. And they were the ones who um, were top secret stories. And because they were told they were not allowed to talk about it, there was one veteran who held that story until he was 80. I can't keep a secret. Like, seriously, I'm like a week behind in my podcasting. And I feel like I have so much to say, but there's only so much time in the day, right? I can't get it out fast enough. I can't say it quick enough. And yet this man kept this secret for so long. So I know in the Second World War, um, the Navajo were the code talkers and they used that language, and which is brilliant, fabulous, actually. <laughs> so, it, you know, there's a lot to be proud of about the Indigenous war effort. And for me, you know, I know that was the roots of why we even got the rights to vote. Um, anyway, I just wanted to, you know, kind of share some things that had happened over over the course of time, and I was really proud of the military museums focusing on Aboriginal uh, War Veterans Day, that uh, they had a whole programming just for that. And I so badly wanted to be there, but there, uh, there's only so much I can do, and I had to work, and, you know, lots of stuff that happened, and I wish I could be there at all. I wish I could be at four places at once sometimes, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, some sad news that happened was uh, we had a local elder had finally um, passed from all of the issues that health issues that he had been struggling with for so long. So I just want to send out my deepest condolences to Daryl Brass and his son, uh, Joshua and Linda, his wife. And I, I just feel bad for the whole family as well as our community because he, he even named my husband. My husband has his name from him. Um so I just want to send my deepest condolences out to our community. Um, I know his week, his wake and, and um, final, final time on the, on the earth before he went under was um, yesterday, but it was kind of a, well, I'll talk about that later, why I couldn't attend that and uh, go from there. Um, on the 12th, a previous guest of Native Calgarian, uh, Johnny Thunder, whose page is Reconciliation Thunder, he put out a seven-minute video to his younger self. And I wrote great video and words. I'm honored I was able to do a podcast with you. I shared this with my daughter, and she said she already knew all of this. Your video made me cry because the last years of my life are trying to get my colonized mind free with these new truths, um, new to me, not new. <laughs> My hope is that the next generation is already there. So they won't have to, you know, decolonize and do that work of decolonizing their minds and relearning new truths. Um, I know your video will impact us, you know, 35 plus folks in Canada. Again, great work, honor to reshare. And again, I would say I'm probably wrong on 35 plus because it was very clear to me that the young adults that are just coming out of the Edmonton Calgary education system, um, they don't know these things and they're, you know, teens and, and early twenties. So 
obviously this will impact a lot of folks in Canada that aren't yet getting education about Indigenous issues. And I guess after what we've seen with Doug Ford, there will be a new generation in Ontario that still have to relearn that, assuming we can even get this education in there in the next go around. So I think with that, I'll I'll just say, you know, Indigenous have been talking about these issues and sharing their traumas in reports. So just so that it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor their words. Honor the treaties. Listen to the politicians in their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with like gender gender equity plus, um, and maybe I'll break that down a bit more, you know, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, know that your vote to a party like that is directly negatively impacting marginalized people. You know, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. Because even if you only care about a buck, it's still cheaper in the long run. Um, The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People. So you might hear people say RCAP. That's what they're talking about. The multiple reports about child welfare reform and um, violence prevention. You know, these are really important programs. Um, Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. So I'm I'm asking that you demand change from these election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, sexism, they literally have no business running. Um, These should be understood by all parties and all of our local politicians and community organizations, etc. And sadly, it's not. And for those who do not know what gender equity plus is, it's acknowledging in the budgets that women are marginalized and are not paid equally. The plus actually acknowledges that, you know, women of color and indigenous women and uh, people with um, uh, ableist issues, all of the trans women, everyone is marginalized. So by recognizing this in budgets, this is actually historic. Rachel Notley's done it here in Alberta and um, federally Justin Trudeau's um, budgets have have done this like if these things are not in budgets whether you're thinking alberta party or ucp then don't vote for them they have no clue what they're talking about i have gone to how many politicians and said you know 94 calls to action and just gotten a glazed look in their eye i have no concept how people think they should be running this country no clue um you know i I know people have good intentions, but if they don't know the basics, if they don't know the land that they're on, if they refuse to do a land acknowledgement, then they absolutely do not represent me in any way, shape, or form. And I totally understand why people don't vote for these people. I mean, a lot of Indigenous people don't vote because they don't see it as their nation. So why would you vote in something that's not even your nation? It's occupied by, you know, Canada. So I, I do, I understand that. But at the same time, like I'm, I was taught to vote. I, I was raised white. So I think white and I see injustice with this white lens. So for me to not vote, I mean, that would be disrespectful to so many, you know, different levels of government. It would be disrespectful to the people who fought for women's rights, for indigenous rights. You know, I, I have to vote. It's just bred in me. So that's why I do. But I, I respectfully understand why other people don't. But I don't just sit by idly either. 
I I call out every politician on this. Um, anyway, I just hope you do too. And I could probably keep complaining. So <laughs> anyway, I'll just say violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous uh, generation has faced it. This is why I started the podcast, just to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but they sure want to tell us theirs, and usually by people that know nothing about Indigenous, our history, the colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, the constant surveillance of our protests, the constant surveillance of our vigils and our rights, typical microaggressions. And then there's um, the actual Indigenous people who are dealing with internalized racism from this structure. You know, they become the gatekeepers. They survive off the status quo. There are a lot of people really in trauma and um, they deplete a lot of resources from that. You know, internal, external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. This is why I started a podcast so that I could just speak. And my hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present day issues. Um, I also feel that everyone has a responsibility to create safe spaces and community for people. So if you um, see Indigenous people, people of color, LGBTQ2+, and they are being targeted by aggressive language or even physically assaulted, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make change. This is anti-racism training. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself. I have a book that's about white privilege. And I, I reference to it um, many times to find the wording to help people understand the gravity of anti-racism training. Um, take responsibility for your learning. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your assumptions, your biases. If I have to spend the first half an hour, you know, it, explaining my humanity to you and trying to get you to ascertain whether or not I've had a so-called high-risk lifestyle. You have bias and assumptions about me and my people for no reason. Um, just because I'm a woman. If you will hear, you know, something from Justin Trudeau that I have said 20 times, then you really do have an issue with sexism. So think about those things. Um, Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes and commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And even for me, I'm learning every single day things that were hidden, whether it was the Cree code talkers of the Great War. You know, here we are. So I want to say thank you to here to help here for what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Internalized racism is the situation that supports the racist system, which uh, racialized people are oppressed. You know, um, this a lot of people call this lateral violence, and you know, when you're not Indigenous and you see Indigenous people fighting, just know it's your turn to step back. It's not really your place to be intervening and giving us your opinion. Because number one, we're allowed to have more than one opinion. We don't expect all white people to have the exact same opinion. We don't. And it's not just white people. There are a lot of settlers that are not white 
that benefit from living in Canada and they don't understand. So, you know, I don't want anybody to feel, you know, left out because you're not. So anyway, internalized racism manifests itself in four dimensions. We have internal, um, interpersonal, institutional, and cultural. So you'll see like honor-based violence conversations happening. And that's a great example of some internalized um, racism that's happening where some people don't want you to talk about it and some people do. And, you know, all of those issues are, are part of that. But that's because of systemic racism in the structure. That is what causes those internal uh, racism conversations. So I'd like to thank equity tools or racialequitytools.org for that. What is internalized racism? You can Google this if you don't understand what I'm saying and send me questions and I'll try to break it down. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander interventions by the American Friends of uh, Service Committee. They have a whole website about what to do if you in, uh, witness public instances of racist, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, and tips on how to keep everybody safe. You know, do make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want your support. Move close to the person being harassed. If you feel that you can do so and it's safe, create a distance or a barrier between you and the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, um, and the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. It's a lot easier for you to delete it later than it is for you just to not have it at all and wish you had. Uh, take cues from the individual being harassed. Do everything you can to keep yourself safe. You know, assess your surroundings. Are there other people you can pull in? Working as a team is a good idea. You and the other person, maybe you can move to a safer place. Um, don't assume that you can call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, the police can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. And I'll give you an example. There was a, a security guard that was black and he was killed the other day by police. Everybody said, no, 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 he's the hero. And they just shot him down and killed him because he had a gun. Um, so don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. And don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. Also, if you're experiencing any emotional distress or want to talk because of some of the issues that I'm talking about, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free and it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom for what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what proud culture is through her Austrian family, her roots, and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian because it's through her that I am a proud second-generation Calgarian. And I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show on top of being my husband and childhood friend, the father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of sexism and racism that I've experienced to our child who we are blessed from to learn from every day. I honor you, and I am so grateful that you chose us. You give, you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. 
my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Uh, thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments and questions, and we are now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. NativeCalgarian.com is also up. And with that, bye!